Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss The Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, both directed by James Cameron. Los Angeles, 2029 AD. The machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind has raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our present tonight. Let's go. Terminator time. Finally. Hey, hey everyone. We've been saving this one. We're excited about this. This is James and that's Anthony over there. We're going to be doing Terminator, the Terminator, and then Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The first two in the franchise, which are easily the best of the entire series and saga. It's not even close. Yeah, I mean... T3, you know, it's an enjoyable it's a movie. movie. It's a movie. The other ones are movies as well. But, you know, these two are borderline masterpieces in, in the science fiction genre. Also, the action genre. I mean, these are two of the greatest action films ever made. And, you know, the T2 was put into, like, the Library of Congress for film history. That's how important it was in terms of its impact on cinema. And the other Terminator films, they just never quite captured what the first two had. And I think, obviously, the main missing component was James Cameron not making the films. Yeah. Because James Cameron, he's a very special director. It doesn't matter what he does. He always hits a home run. Even The Abyss, even though even though that wasn't a giant success, it was revolutionary in its uh, visual filmmaking and the visual effects. But, you know, people said that Titanic wasn't going to work. People said Aliens wasn't going to work. People said Terminator wasn't going to work. People said Avatar wasn't going to work. And he proves people wrong time and time again. And I don't care what he's going to make. You I have, you know he's going to make something special. And I'm sure his Aquaman movie in Entourage was also enormous as that well. That would have been great. That would have been, sure been great. If only Vince stayed attached to it. Although I don't think Vince <laughs> is a good enough actor for superhero. <laughs> I, don't think he, I think they should have cast someone else. So The Terminator came out in 1984. It was directed by James Cameron. He also wrote the screenplay with Glenn Ann Hurt and William Wisher. And then Terminator, Terminator 2... Judgment Day came out in 19... Hold on, I got it here. 94. 94, 91. Oh, 91. Get your dates right, bro. Also directed by James Cameron again and written by James Cameron and William Wisher. Both films star Arnold Schwarzenegger, the the Terminator, and then Linda Hamilton, also Michael Beans in the first one, then Edward Furlong is also a big actor star in the second film. And apparently, from what I read, James Cameron, he intended for um, this all to be one film. And the way he wrote... The original Terminator was going to have the T-1000, the liquid metal Terminator, also involved in the first film with another T- T-800 that John Connor had sent back. So this entire story he imagined as one movie, but uh, he, was try- he was trying to figure out how to do the liquid metal. And the best he could come up with was stop motion, and it didn't look good at all. Yeah. So he decided I don't, the technology isn't there to make that this film. And so we basically divided it into two movies, and they're two perfect movies, honestly. Yeah, they're great. And I mean, he's the king of sequels in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. is It's arguably, I, I can see the case of it being better than the first one. I, I You know, it's, it's up it for is better for sure. It is better. They're both great, but like to make a sequel better than the Terminator is pretty incredible. And so the synopsis and plot of the first film is a human soldier is sent from 2029, not that far away, everybody, to 1984 to stop an almost indestructible cyborg 
Killing Machine, set from the same year, which has been programmed to execute a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. And I'm sure we've all seen this movie a dozen times. Anthony and I used to watch this all the time when we were kids. All the time. I will allow it for this one because that is an actual fact this time. <laughs> I I really adore this film. I think it's a perfect movie. And it's this, the plot, as complicated as it seems, is actually a very simple it plot. It really is, yeah. Not It's it's not that hard, hard to wrap your head around it. And I think it's just a genius concept by James Cameron. It is really remarkable. Uh, the time travel element, the, the cyborg element, the blend of sci-fi with this like noir and an action thriller. And it's really, really excellent movie. Yeah, the plot's incredible, like you said, but simple overall. Machines from the future send a killing machine to assassinate this woman, Sarah Connor, before she can give birth to the savior of humanity. Sarah Connor. In response to the human sending back Kyle Reese, a protector, to stop this Terminator from killing Sarah Connor. And I love this movie because... The sci-fi genre was booming in the 1980s. I mean, it was on fire, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was he was a, a flame. that was He was a monster in the sci-fi genre. I know everyone looks at him as like an action hero, but he was a sci-fi monster as well. I mean, <laughs> Say sci-fi monster again. Sci-fi monster. I'm just excited about this film. I feel like I just did a line, but I did not. I don't do drugs. <laughs> I'm just very excited. Terminator, E.T., Blade Runner, Back to the Future, Aliens. I'll allow Alien. That was 1979. Mad Max, Star Wars, Flash Gordon, Dune. Dune reference for the day. Akira, The Thing, Predator, Running Man, War Games, Robocop, Tron, Star Trek, Total Recall. That was 1990, but I'll still allow that. So, like, the the sci-fi genre was absolutely flourishing at this time. You could say it's the best um, part of the 80s was sci-fi. Oh, absolutely, because, dude. You know, because, like, the dr- great dramas of the 70s weren't really getting made in the 80s. And so I think sci-fi really and, – and tech-based films really took off in that era with the advancement of technology at the time, even though it was still pretty rudimentary compared to now. But, you know, the advancements allowed filmmakers to really push the boundaries. And, you know, movies like Star Wars in 2001 set the stage for what could be done and then Ridley Scott with Alien. And I think that filmmakers, since those were the predecessors, they were so excited about those films and, and I'm sure – were so passionate about telling their own versions within the sci-fi genre. Yeah. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You'll get awesome perks like our podcast schedule so you can see what we're covering up next, personalized videos, a Patreon shoutouts for top-tier patrons of the show, which we just did in the last episode. And you get weekly bonus episodes every Wednesday that only patrons can see. Plus, we do giveaways like every two weeks. Super fun. We're also launching our podcast masterclass next week online so it's an online course that anyone can sign up for november 16th it's a 22 chapter course super in-depth everything we've learned and done to do behind the scenes to teach you how to start a podcast or to improve your current podcast we think it's gonna be super beneficial for a lot of you out there head on over to our website readersoflustpodcast.com to check out all of our merch our content we just dropped some beanies for the winter time check those out thank you for tuning in around the world be sure to follow subscribe wherever you're listening hit that notification bell the story of like a killer robot or a killer computer it had been done before um but not to this extent i think the execution of it was what was so groundbreaking about it. i mean for example, like in 1984, computers weren't a household item. It was 8.2% of all U.S. households had a computer. That's hardly anyone, really, if you think about it. And so, mostly they could just send an email. Yeah, or just access a couple web pages That's probably, it. maybe. Yeah, mostly so email. Minimal communication or data storage was like two megabytes on like a floppy <laughs> disk. That's like what you got. And the average iPhone photo is what, like 16 gigabytes? I mean, 16 megabytes nowadays. Mm-hmm. So 
it was, it's not like computers were common, really. And I think the concept of computers in technology was so fascinating. And it was, again, it was booming just like the sci-fi genre. Killer robots we had seen in Blade Runner 1982. We have the uh, the replicants. iRobot did in 2004. And then there was a new, more nuanced version of it with Ex Machina in 2014. And there are monster really movies love. from the 40s and yeah, 50s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because this is, is essentially a monster movie when you look at it. They mm-hmm. both kind of are. The first one especially is a monster movie but then killer computers in film 2001 a space odyssey obviously the most famous like one of the best versions of it in 1968 war games in 1983 the year before this um that was a great sci-fi computer film superman 3 the evil computer in that in 1983 logan's run in 1976 so it's not like these ideas weren't around or, or concepts were around there but again the execution of an artificial intelligence and machines in the future sending something back in time to save itself, you could say, is just mind-blowing. So we got the the robots, the computers, and then we have time travel. It's insane. And AI. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, James Cameron, he came up with the idea for the Terminator from a nightmare he had. He had a nightmare where a robot cyborg had been sent from the future to assassinate him. And that was like the very first moment of the concept. And back then, James Cameron was a truck driver. He worked a ton of odd jobs, and uh, truck driving was his main gig. And he was also, but in his spare time, he would write and he would do illustrations. He's a very talented artist. Like he does great storyboard work for his for his films. And and famously in Titanic, the actual hand drawing rose in the in the charcoal drawing scene is actually James Cameron's hand drawing Kate Winslet. So he's a very talented drawer. And so he would always do. He did all these sketches. He even had um, the ideas for Avatar when he was a kid, like this. He was dreaming up the ideas of this planet with these tall blue aliens. That's why he wants to make five of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's always had these great, this great knack for tapping into the sci-fi world with these amazing ideas. And, you know, he made – he luckily, he had this great turn of luck where he was a, an AD, an assistant director on Piranha 2. The, horror the classic film. horror classic. film. Classic. <laughs> Everybody's seen it. Piranha 2, Shining. <laughs> <laughs> then Exorcist. Then Exorcist. <laughs> then Piranha 1. <laughs> but he was, an a- he was an AD on that film, and the director got fired. And the, the, the producers were like, we need someone to direct the rest of the film. James Cameron was there, and they were like, hey, can you direct it? And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll direct it. So that got him his first directing credit for a feature film. Piranha 3, another classic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just Piranha 2. Piranha 2, another. Piranha 2. The, <laughs> oh, yeah, the second best horror film of all yeah, time. The, the, yeah, the classic. And then after that, like, he finished a film. That's actually a big, like, being able to successfully finish a film that was in trouble. It's a pretty big deal. And then he was able to get his script for Terminator uh, funded and and produced into a film and this is made with a very small budget i think four million dollars was its budget um if i remember correctly so relatively small budget and it was very successful um it's 6.4 million i can't believe you're so wrong on that <laughs> <laughs> but it made 78 million worldwide big and, hit, big and hit. then terminator 2 the budget for that let's see where, where we're at on 88 that. million 102 million wrong again well, no, production budget was 88, and then marketing yeah, probably estimated, estimated 102. And then gross worldwide was 520 million. So that was. Oh, wait, did you, ins- you said estimated. So you don't even know if that's. I'm just correct. reading off IMDb here. Yeah. So you don't even know if yours is correct. I read an interview, interview with the producers. I read it in a book. In a book. <laughs> I like to break a mental sweat. <laughs> and so I, uh, Terminator 2 is ranked 8.5 on IMDb, which is super high. With top- a million yeah. with a million ratings. Oh, yeah, that's true. So that's that means true. it's literally an amazing movie. And then it's the top-rated film on IMDb user rating at number 34, which is crazy. And then let's see, is Terminator 1. Terminator Terminator 1 is an 8.0, and it's not in the top uh, 
200 uh, user list. So that's interesting. So I, yeah, Terminator I think, Two. Is, I think Two Two is a, is a much better movie. It's though, definitely better directed for sure. It's but yeah, but T Two has the humor in the. Yeah. you have the great human element to it, the human the emotional stakes, and then Linda Hamilton's character. How much she had changed was just, and then Arnold, had, yeah, and then Arnold is a good guy, and then you have the T one thousand. It's it's just an amazing, amazing sequel. Yeah. So instead of it being, you could say the Terminator is a lot scarier than T two. T two has better action, uh, funnier, and better characters and character development. Although you can say that, like, there are moments when the T one thousand is like chasing them that it's really terrifying, especially at the end. But I will say. It's nothing in T2 is as scary as in the Terminator during the finale when his skin has been melted off and that robot is chasing yeah. um, Sarah and John through the factory. Like that, Sarah and Kyle, I'm sorry, through the factory. That I, I was always terrified of the Terminator when I was a kid. I was horrified by that. And, you know, the stop motion, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I'm sorry, first, I'm very excited. Before, I don't know, you're, you are, are jumping, bro. Did you do a liner? It's the tea. I put something in the tea. I'm just drinking water. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't need there's anything. There's something in your water for sure. Yeah, so the stop motion Terminator at the end of Terminator of Terminator 1, I mean, it, it doesn't hold up nowadays. But, you know, there it's when you watch it and you're in the movie, it, it's still better than a lot of the CGI you see nowadays. It, it's surprisingly yeah. good, I think. It still holds up because it adds a super weird, creepy element to it. Yeah. You know, I know it's stop motion, but still it's like, what the hell is that thing? Well, And also, it's, it's tangible. It's, you can tell it's a real thing. It's not computer animated. It's actually photo real. It's a real photo. It's photographed. So it's it's a projection. onto. Yeah. So they actually did stop motion, but then it's it's projected onto the scene. Yeah, same thing with how they did Star Wars yeah. and all, all the other space sci-fi films. So... But the fact that they actually filmed like the animatronic robot, well, not stop stop motion robot, you know, it's, it's it looks better than a lot of CGI. Yeah. For me, well, that still kind of gets me at times. Yeah. So the stop motion was not used for every scene, though, for the, mm -hmm. the Terminator. So the stop motion one was about two feet tall. It was created by Doug Bestwick, and it was essential for doing like the full size versions of the Terminator walking around and moving and interacting with them. And again, they would use a projector and to be able to project it onto a screen on the shot to make it seem like it's there with them when they're it's acting with the actors. But then, you know, it would have been too complicated to do some of the other shots, like the like the close-ups of the eyeball when he's fixing himself and, and you know, he pops the eye out and everything. And <laughs> yeah, you yeah. see his skeleton and also the hands, the movements. That was created by Gene, uh, no, Stan Winston... The, yeah, he's the best ever. He convinced Cameron to create an animatronic and puppet endoskeleton in full size to get on-screen performances out of it, like when Terminator is like fixing himself up in that little room. It's great for insert shots, like because yeah. it'll do like a close-up of like a, a part of it, like when they stick the grenade in its hip and like the hand reaching, like that really adds to the realism of the moment. It really helps the audience accept it. Yeah, and the special effects supervisor Gene Warren said that it saved them six months of stop-motion technology post-production work because they did that. I'm sure. And there's an um, there's a really hilarious shot, and you can find it. Just look for it. Uh, at in the uh, climax, after the truck explodes and they think that T one thousand, the T eight hundred is dead, and then all of a sudden it stands up within the flames, and they're like, "Oh man!" And then they have to start running. But it, in that shot, like literally, like five feet away from the the animatronic um, exos, this animatronic robot of the T eight hundred, there's a stuntman. You can see him pulling a, a dolly. Uh, I mean, pulling on a pulley system. To lift the uh, Terminator upwards and standing up, <laughs> and you can literally see the, the the guy in the background right behind him. So next time, if you want to look at it, freeze frame it, start on that scene, and then look closely right behind the Terminator. You can see the guy.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and the Terminator is like, it's easily the best part of the movie. And, you know, this is Arnold's rise to superstardom, really, with the Terminator. This put him in the, as a household name. You know, he had been acting, but this was the role. This was his break, his big breakthrough, just like it was a big breakthrough for Skynet creating this T-800 because now it can blend in with humans. <laughs> so two breakthroughs They there. both utilize Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> and because Arnold, well, he was in Conan, but Conan wasn't a box office success, really. Same year, too, though. Yeah, it wasn't really that big, so... Uh, Terminator becoming such a big success, and then Arnold followed it up with eight great years of amazing 80s movies and became the action icon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think what Arnold did for, you know, fan lovers, and, and he created the he created a new version of the action hero because, you know, it, movies had changed in the 70s, and they had become very nuanced and very gritty and... Action movies weren't really getting made, and if they were, they were generally cop movies for the most part. And so what Arnold did, and then Stallone as well, but Arnold was doing it for a few years before Stallone started doing it, was he created like his – he was a superhero, as you could say, for audience for audiences. Like we looked at Arnold as like the guy. He was like – everyone thought he was the coolest person alive, and he was essentially as big as a superhero at the time. And he really changed cinema and brought about the love for, you know, action heroes, and he basically reformed that genre. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously his personality, his charm, but like his physique had a huge impact on that because, I mean, today bodybuilders, it's super common. He started be, it all. Yeah, he, I mean, he didn't he didn't start it. Not but, start it, but, but you know, he he excelled at it and yeah. became the best in the world. I mean, how many times did he win Mr. Olympia? Like seven times or something like that? I think he made it mainstream. Yeah, that's that's for sure yeah. because now it's not uncommon. Anyone go to a gym, you'll see a, a huge dude like Arnold, but to see a person like that in like the 70s and 80s was unusual. People weren't supposed to be that big or enormous. And Even like, Rocky he wasn't like that before he would go to like jails and then like people in like events and he would just take a shirt off and flex and people would be like oh my god is that a human being like that's yeah. how how amazing or or fascinating it was just the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger and then you put that onto a huge movie like the Terminator and then Predator and stuff like that and superstardom written all over it. and like you said a new hero and yeah I think 
people like that, bodybuilding was a very specific and small percentage of the population doing it. I think most of whom were interested in, in competitions for it. Fitness in general yeah. was, was a lot less practiced. There was fitness, but not like the bodybuilding like this, not like really building yourself up to be this like Olympias, Olymp, um, Olympian. Olympian. Yeah, Olympian. Greek god. Greek god, Greek god. But nowadays, like you said, you walk into any gym, you'll see a handful of guys that look just as big as Arnold. Depending on the gym you go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that he- Planet Fitness, no. No, yeah. <laughs> He made it a mainstream thing for, you know, men to like want to bulk up and to get strong and, you know, to, to feel powerful. And I think that he really started that in the American consciousness. And then Linda Hamilton did it herself, I think, in T2. Yeah. She's in incredible shape in that. I think she had to, she did that because I'm this new super soldier now, just like Terminator, just like T-800. And I'm going to step my game up to be the, the counter to Arnold Schwarzenegger and his size. She was the first uh, lead actress in a big movie to like really be shredded. Like Jack, she, Jack, she is in incredible shape. Like she's just doing those pull-ups in prison like no problem. She is ripped out of her mind in this and you hadn't seen that because you've seen, yeah, Ripley in Aliens, she's an action hero, but she's not like jacked and not, not like physically imposing, but Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor in the second Terminator is like you don't want to fight her you would not want to mess with her yeah she's like a green beret or special forces yeah. who know who knows what she went to well since we'll talk about these two together let's do the synopsis of terminator 2 let's so go. in terminator 2 which came out in 1991 a cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill sarah connor like us must now protect her 10 year old son john from a more advanced and powerful cyborg and now this introduced edward furlong as john connor in this film and edward furlong was he had he could have had such an incredible career. Obviously, all those the, a lot of those teen actors in the eighties and nineties fell into d bad habits, and unfortunately, their careers usually pretty much ended. Yeah, what happened with like child stars back then? It's it's I think child stars nowadays are very lucky with social media because all you need is one hit, and then you get a million followers on Instagram, and then you're pretty much set. And you know, if you have a big following on social media, movies are always going to come your way. Whereas in the 80s and 90s it wasn't like that and there's a couple yeah you could have a couple of hits and then that's it you know there's a bunch of these um guys and gals who you know had hit movies but then you know they never became anything or they had problems personal problems and social problems and so i think nowadays uh young actors have a really great safety net now, before we continue, if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand new laptops on our desks, courtesy of LG. These are the 17-inch LG Graham Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is they're 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which means more vertical space. Incredible for working and editing, but also phenomenal for watching movies on these sensational displays. They are truly amazing. Not to mention they're shockingly light. We'll put links in our YouTube video bio for the LG Gram 16-inch and 17-inch models. Thank you so much, LG and LG Gram, for the laptops and for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year. And our other amazing sponsor, Arc Studio Pro, the best screenwriting software on the market, has also started its own podcast. This podcast is called How I Write, and then they will be interviewing all sorts of screenwriters in the film industry, including screenwriters like David Gordon Green, who just wrote Halloween Kills, Misha Green, who wrote Lovecraft County, and a bunch of others. This is going to be an eight-episode first season, which premieres on November 12th. There's a link in our YouTube description for you to head on over to their podcast. Be sure to subscribe and keep an eye out for the premiere of their episode. They're going to discuss topics like how do screenplays actually get written, how long does a screenwriter like David Gordon Green sit down to write at a time? 
and how do they keep their notes and ideas. This is going to be a great podcast for all you up-and-coming filmmakers and screenwriters, so be sure to tune into How I Write Screenwriters on Their Process, premiering November 12th. And again, use our special link, arcstudiopro.com slash raiders to get $30 off your membership and start writing today. And the thing is, even though the plot is a little repetitive with the second film, you know, it's the same kind of idea of robots coming back to a different timeline in the past to either kill someone or protect someone. It's still, like you said, a better movie overall. I mean, the second one won four Oscars, which is insane. That's incredible. Obviously, mostly visual effects and stuff like that. But still, to win four Oscars for a time-traveling film about killer robots is pretty incredible. And that was the movie that, you know, we really saw the power of Arnold because it was his first $20 million paycheck. Because he had done Terminator and then a few other big hits. Predators was in the 80s, too. Predators, yeah. it It was after Terminator. It was before this. And so he had become a superstar. And then... T2 was the proof of his stardom, $20 million paycheck. And, you know, he's the biggest draw of the movie. You know, people went to see this movie because it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, you know, he is the Terminator. Him being the Terminator is the best part of the film, especially because he got to show off his comedic chops in this. You know, he's pretty funny. He's funny in Commando and he's funny in Predators. But I think he's really hysterical as the Terminator in this film. Plus, twins, he's hysterical in that, too. Yeah, that's true. And then Linda Hamilton. I just I really love the transform transformation of Sarah Connor from movie one to movie two because in movie one she's like you know she's a pedestrian and kyle reese is leading her and um giving her orders and she's basically following orders for most of that film she's the most normal person you could think of you know and she's forced into action with kyle reese and she doesn't want this future she's being told this strange man can i trust him he's telling me all these crazy things about time travel and monsters and robots and and computers in the future and i have a son that's going to save the human race like what the hell is this guy talking about i'm just trying to go back to work and try to live you know i'm I'm trying to to go on a date yeah i'm trying to get on a date i'm trying to go to a club like whatever like what's going on man got an iguana (laughs) (laughs) and also when the terminator i love the the movie's fast paced that's what i love about they get right into the action right into the plot and you know terminator he comes back in time he steals the clothes from the bikers at the griffith observatory bill paxton shout out rest in peace sir this is one of his early rules um and he's hunting down all the Sarah Connors in a phone book. Like, this used to be a thing. Like, I don't know if anyone's listening that didn't ex- wasn't alive during phone books, but you could literally just search anyone's name. You'd see their address and phone number yeah. like that. Like it, And it was everywhere. That's kind of scary to think about now. Someone tagged us in a photo, a video of this girl was showing that on TikTok that we, we used to actually look in the newspaper for movie show times. Yeah. So in the back of the newspaper, there was you didn't go on like Fandango or anything. There was We didn't have websites like that so you go in the back of the newspaper and it had all the local listings for every movie theater within like 25 miles of you and all of their show times each day i forgot about so that. we would go like if we wanted to go see a movie in the morning we'd open the newspaper and see what the show times were and then we'd pick the best theater and time for us to go that's AMC how we did it burlington let's go that's how you and it was always first come first serve that's that's insane that's how you saw totally movies i forgot about that that was always so fun and nostalgic people listen like how old are these guys <laughs> <laughs> we also used to look at the weather on the in the newspaper too we used to actually watch the weather channel for weather i mean we've talked about star wars and how groundbreaking that must have been to see in the 70s and 80s but i think still the execution of this concept and this idea of killer robots and cyber and computer systems from the future with time travel mixed in it's insane. It would have been an incredible cinematic experience. Yeah, I mean, they have amazing scores that amazing synth. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you've, been, you've been humming it all day. I've been excited for this episode. But also, I think there's this, always this fascination, even back then, but especially now with the future of technology. And 
how dangerous technology can be, especially in terms of artificial intelligence. And, you know, this movie, I think is made, I think no other movie has ever made people more fearful of technology than Terminator. It's like Jaws with sharks. Yeah. And it's like Y2K. We were terrified of uh, 2000 happening because we thought all the computer systems were going to crash. Jay Nice got like 12 gallons of water. In yeah. The everyone. Just in case. Yeah. It was a good plan. Everyone filled up on milk and bread. And, but, you know, <laughs> it's like a snowstorm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah legit. But I mean, you never know. I mean, AI, I mean, if you've ever seen stuff with Elon Musk talking about AI, it sounds pretty terrifying. And he's like, you know, Skynet definitely could happen. I'm like, what is he? What is that? Is this possible? Yeah, but Elon's not the like the top guy to listen. There's a lot of other yeah, people to listen yeah. to. So I, I'm not too worried about AI, I would say. But I think this definitely made people fearful of technology for sure, which it should have because there are scary parts of technology that we're experiencing now. Yeah, and I mean, if an AI was formed, obviously its self-preservation would be its number one priority and humans might get in the way of that so <laughs> maybe it will make a skynet well, and i love the concept of artificial intelligence but blending that in with humanity and blending it in with fate with these films because at the end of the first film after you know they get chased down by the terminator and sarah kills it in that that press whatever that thing is called yeah, the compressor the, yeah. the flat press thing um and she thinks she killed it but then the arm gets stuck there so it even though kyle reese was sent back to protect sarah connor he still couldn't stop the Terminator in the future of of Skynet still happening. happening. And then even in the second film, even though I love to watch the end of this film because it's a great ending when, when T-1-800 Arnold goes into well, the Well, hold on, lobby. sorry. I'm, right before you go there because essentially that arm is, I mean, it was always going to happen. Yeah, that's what, you I, mean, know what I mean. The grandfather paradox. Yeah, yeah. So the Terminator arm being there was always the cause of Skynet. Exactly, exactly. So there's a perfect example of the grandfather paradox. How yeah. can you go back in time and kill your grandfather if you if he wasn't alive to exist to make Because if you kill him, then he, he you, you never would have existed. Bored. You never yeah. would have been able to go back in time and do it. So it's how, a great paradox. So how can Skynet go back to kill someone if, if it doesn't get created because of until the terminator's arm gets caught in it until so it goes back in time to yeah. do it so it really doesn't make super sense super fascinating because even though and then that's what jump starts skynet well cyber nine systems yeah. to reverse engineer the arm at the end of the first film and then they it's basically expedites it expedites cyberdyne i mean so, sorry cyberdyne which is the corporation that creates skynet so that's the difference between those two cyberdyne systems is the corporation responsible for everything in the development of skynet which is skynet is basically the machines of the matrix essentially like, and that's Dyson is like the Miles Dyson is the, the lead, lead programmer at Cyberdyne who yeah. creates Skynet, and yeah. so there he's the one who's also he's in charge of like reverse engineering the microchips and processing of the arm that they've found at the Cyberdyne factory. And then I love the end of T two because we think that they destroyed everything. We think that they destroyed the T one thousand, obviously in the lava that's gone. We think that they destroyed the processing chips. They threw that in the lava. It's not lava technically. Was it molten molten metal? Basically lava. Um, and then Terminator goes down to it with a thumbs up. But what did they forget? He forgot his arm in the factory. His arm is his still other there. Arm, his yeah. other arm that got crushed. It's still there. So they couldn't prevent fate from happening. Man, these arms just they, keep getting lying around. How, how did they not go? Is there are anything we, we forgot? Did we forget anything? <laughs> Were there any papers or, or floppy disks that we should have thrown in there? <laughs> oh, his other arm is over there. Should we? Uh, it's too far, dude. I don't. Uh, we don't need it. It's kind of. It's crushed, right? It'll be fine. You can't get anything it out of that thing. It can't happen again. It's just, it's just like a piece of an arm. It's not that big of a deal. So <laughs> you can't stop fate, basically, which is I love the concept of these two, first two films. And I think that's what was always missing with the sequels. Dark Fate was pretty good. I was, I'll say it was pretty good, but it was definitely 
underwhelming at some areas. But like when Rise of the Rise of the Machines, I just hated the interpretation of John Connor being this like drug addict like, who's just like you know breaking into vet clinics to steal drugs and stuff and. Man, psychiatric breakdown yeah. which i can understand but he's supposed to be like the strong leader of the resistance i, I, I was so underwhelmed by the character and i mean he, he didn't seem like what was set up to be for john connor and in i know i his, know the lack of i know the lack of skynet happening changed the outcome for the character but still you know his mother raised him to be strong and you saw that in the second one because he took initiative in the second film you know what i mean because at first in the first act he thinks his mother's crazy yeah. he still does he's not even sure his mother's yeah. telling the truth but then he finds out that she was and now he has this training and even though he's been a rebellious kid he still has a mother who's always just wanted a relationship from and they they reunite and have a great mother-son relationship before she's gone yeah so the biggest mistake with t3 was the interpretation of the John Connor character. I think he didn't have to be soldier, but I just think from what they created with T2 of making John a, a great teen character and then just what happened to him in the third one, I think that was the worst part of the film. He got he was too weak of a character. Oh yeah, I, I, you can weak. understand like a psychological breakdown of everything that's happened to you. You grew up in foster homes, your mother left you, your mother was in me in mental hospitals for so long and, and then she died. And um, then all this yeah. crazy stuff happened to you. I mean, the trauma that it does onto a person's mind is probably incomprehensible obviously because it's never happened to anyone where robots come to kill anyone. <laughs> Fortunately, maybe not. We don't know. We don't know what the government's not telling us. But um, so I, I, I get that, but still found him a very weak character. That's why I'm not a huge fan of T3. Yeah, but he, John Connor is great in T2. He's so much fun. Edward Furlong, like we said, he's very talented, and it's a shame what happened with him. But he really was one of the highlights of this film. He he brought the charm, and I love the relationship with Terminator and John in this film. That is one. That is one of the best elements of T2. Is the bond they form and like when t when the terminator sacrifices himself at the end you're like oh my god i'm gonna cry from and the terminator and the great thing about that is he's programmed to follow all of john's orders right he's like i got my own terminator <laughs> stand on one foot <laughs> so he, he has to do everything john says but at the end of the film even though john's telling him to not sacrifice himself he still sacrifices himself and he disobeys orders so maybe at this point because john and the terminator have been spending so much time together they're forming a relationship is artificial intelligence superseding the programming of the t-800 where he's making a decision on his own as a, maybe a, a conscious being to stop i mean to disobey john even though those are his orders to do whatever he says and to destroy himself or maybe that's already in his program no that's 100 percent right yeah it's the empathy and connection he's formed with john and um he's learned because lynn because uh, sarah connor at the end says that like if if a robot if a terminator can learn to appreciate humanity then maybe humans should start too. humans something like humans <laughs> <laughs> she says something like that yeah, not those that's, words that's exactly pretty good, good foot so it is it is a, it, <laughs> the terminator did grow to end up loving john a human being but the thing with both films is in, in addition to the great characters and actions they have great one-liners which uh, is phenomenal and obviously oh yeah. the ones that are created with like no problemo and hasta la vista baby that's the one those are the ones that john teaches terminator in the second film but I'll be back in the first film is one of the most iconic movie lines in the history of cinema. Everybody knows what movie it's from. It might be the most movie quoted, mo most quoted movie line of all time. I mean, I'm sure people in the 80s just said it to each other all the freaking time. Like, I'll be back. People still say it. So, like, may maybe even the most spoofed movie line, too, in terms of entertainment, for sure. It, the original line was supposed to be, I'll come back. Oh, that'd be terrible. That was, that was the original line that they tried it a bunch of times. And then Arnold tried, I'll be back. And then that worked out really Man, well. What were you thinking, James? I'll come back. I'll come back. Yeah. That sounds terrible. I'll come back.
But it's it's I think that with T one, Cameron learned like oh if we get these like great one liners in that really helps with the pop culture sense of sensibility of the film being very popular in terms of the consciousness and you know being quoted and you know people still look back on these movie quotes as some of the best ever and we were always saying like hasta la vista and stuff Everyone like that. Everyone said that yeah yeah it was great because it was still in the pop culture when we were growing up in the 90s the terminator was like just as big in the 90s as it was in the 80s for sure how about we head on into our intermission and begin with our movie quote competition i have a couple i have one from me and then one from a fan you ready i was born ready all right this is from me if it bleeds we can kill it predator nice that's that's pretty fast <laughs> <laughs> all right you're gonna make that microphone bleed <laughs> all right this one is from holly Hillcar, quote from Holly Hillcar. Thanks for, hey, Holly. Thanks for sending this in. Quite the night. So far, you've seen me and my dick throw up. Oh, what is, that's a great quote. What is that? Quite the night. So far, you've seen me and my dick throw up. Oh, man. I, I haven't seen this in like 12, 15 years, something like that. I'm stumped. Detroit Rock City. Oh, great one. It's a classic. That's a good, that's a good comedy. It's a good rock movie. Yeah, it's good. Here's my quote. My name is Lester Burnham. This is my neighborhood. This is my street. This is my life. I am 42 years old. In less than a year, I will be dead. Of course, I don't know that yet. And in a way, I'm dead already. Lester? Is it... American Beauty? Ding, 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 yeah, ding, ding, nice. Ding. Yeah, thanks, man. Good one. Thanks. That was a good quote. I didn't think I'd get it. All right. Guess this movie release year. Junior. Oh, man. Oh, shoot. Um, what did we name him? Junior. Junior. <laughs> 1994. Yeah. Yes. Nice job. That's what I got mixed up last time. Okay. Here's my true lies. True lies. Was this also the 80s? I think it was. I think. No. Hmm. 1992. 94. 94. Also 94. Too. We both did 94 movies. Yeah, because this is definitely post Terminator 1. Oh, yeah. I mean, Terminator 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Movie pop quiz time. As a child, Arnold had three main goals in life, and he achieved all three. What were they? To be Mr. Olympia. No. No? No. To be uh, the biggest star in Hollywood. I mean, to become an actor. I'll to let become that an slide. actor. Yeah, yeah. To become a politician. No. To. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, to, is it Mr. Mister Universe? No. Did it's I, not I... in fitness wise. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> to buy a tank. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. His three goals were to move to America. It was to marry someone, right? To become an actor and marry a Kennedy. That's what it was. He yeah. achieved all three. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's man. Accomplishing. Those are three insane, insane. Well, I mean, those are Very incredible Very specific goals. dreams. Yeah. Marry a Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a huge JFK fan. Mm-hmm. Here's my pop quiz question. Wes Anderson... While he was making Darjeeling Unlimited, he made a short film starring Natalie Portman, who was playing the same character with Jason Schwartzman. Oh, what's this called? And um, do you know what it's called? Chateau. Nope. Balconies. <laughs> sunset. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in that apartment in, in France, right? The whole time. It's not an apartment. It's a suite. Yeah, it's a suite. Um, 
Chateau de Mont. <laughs> Hotel Chevalier. Oh, I knew the sh was in there. You got the sh right. Shuh. It was like I feel a strong energy to sh. <laughs> Felt the sh aura. It's a good little short. Yeah, I liked it. All right. Um, who's our hater of the week? We got any real ones? Mostly oh, fans. Yeah, we got a real one. We got a real one. Can they top last episodes? I don't know. That guy was a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of haters. We had some hate on the Google Hunting clips. We did, didn't we? It was pretty bad. Yeah. All we said was Ben and Matt weren't famous people yet, but they had been in some films, but they weren't like superstars. And people yeah, yeah. suffer from recency so, bias. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I did. I posted a clip. Uh, you posted a clip on Goodwill Hunting where we said that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were relative unknowns when Goodwill Hunting came out and it made them overnight stars. And they both were in other movies before Goodwill Hunting, but they're supporting roles in small films. And, you know, nobody knew they were not household names. They, no. No one was like, oh, I can't wait for the next Ben Affleck movie after Mallrats. You yeah, know what I mean? no one remembered his, who he was from Mallrats. Yeah, and so, but this guy kept going back and forth with me. He's like, he goes, what were you, six in 1997? And, pe and people were like, holy shit, that's Ben in Mallrats. And Courage, Matt Damon and Courage Under Fire was very famous. They they aren't what they are now, but they were very famous back then. Denzel was famous in that movie. And I was, and I just said, just because an actor is a movie doesn't make them famous. And he goes, but you knew Ben and Matt. Everyone knew. Everyone knew Ben and Matt when Goodwill Hunting came out. I'm like, no, what are you they talking did not. About? No one knew who they were. Nobody knew who they were. Some people who've seen, I guess, movies like that. I mean, even in Days Days and Confused, he's like tenth billing in that movie. Yeah, these these guys were not famous before Goodwill Hunting. It he's was not so, even on the poster. They were so unfamous that it took them five years to get a studio to greenlight the project with them acting in it because no one wanted. People wanted the screenplay. They could have sold it, but. Them being part of the package was what kept studios from greenlighting it. Yeah, that's it. right. They wanted like Brad Pitt in one of the yeah, roles. Yeah, they didn't want Matt Damon and Ben Affleck to star in it because they weren't famous. And so, yeah. But we got – it wasn't just that guy. There were a lot of people that said that. I'm like – Recency bias. Yeah. It's because they're superstars now that you think that they've been like that their entire lives. Yeah. And, yes, Courage Under Fire was a good movie and Denzel Washington's in it and he has scenes with Matt Damon. doesn't mean he's famous. Yeah. And then uh, some fun unsubscribers – uh, you posted a Instagram graphic of our episode today, which was Goodwill Hunting, which posted not today, but we filmed this earlier. So this is Monday. It posted, and you accidentally wrote that it was Ready Player One. I did. It was a classic. <laughs> and then a, a bunch of people burned us. Like John uh, Camelone dried trade. He wrote copy and paste. Failed you guys on this one. 100%. Unsubscribe. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. And then uh, Nathan's wrote looks more like Goodwill Hunting to me. <laughs> So what happens when you are posting your graphics at like 11.30 at night? Yeah. And then I posted a clip. I guess the music was too loud for some people. And Gator9696 wrote, music wasn't loud enough, unsubscribed. And then uh, it, uh Saving Private Ryan clip, Caleb Hepner wrote, actually, this is incorrect. Shakespeare in Love was actually produced by Macaulay Culkin, unsubscribed. <laughs> I was talking about the uh, how Shakespeare in Love won the Oscar over Saving Private Ryan. All right. Who else you got? Anyone? GT Films said, James is a dumbass for... The Daddy Elfman mistake. <laughs> Anthony is so much better. He's the only reason I haven't unsubscribed. <laughs> I did make a a, a boo boo. Yeah, those, those are all so far. It was a great. It was a great uh, slew of unsubscribers today. Nice to hear from you too, uh, Gabriel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we know Gabriel loves us. All right, uh, got some great five star reviews. Um, this one right here from Don't You Want to Know sixty nine. They I they I. <laughs> that's it that's the review they ate five stars I love it <laughs> simple right to the point they ate um, and then constapad emoji 
Where have these guys been? I'm a high schooler and work five-hour shifts every day after school. This is all the media content I had on YouTube, except it fits in my schedule now. Also better. Way better. I love these guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. You guys are the best. Um, also, on this day in film history, today is November 11th. In 1994, Interview with the Vampire was released. In 2013, Hunger Games Catching Fire premiered. In 2016, Arrival was released. And today... In 2021, Ghostbusters Afterlife is released. So go check oh, it today. out. Yeah, go check it out on IMAX. Yeah, we'll do a review on it. Seems so like you a guys good time. Can hear our thoughts on it. My streaming recommendation is going to be Amazon Prime, Children of Men. Oh, great by pick. Alfonso Cuarón. Great pick. Mine is also on Amazon Prime, Rushmore, Wes Anderson's film. It's awesome. Classic. I know if I was Skynet personally, I'd be making some men's grooming products for humans, for the future of humans once I have captured them all and they're to working keep them in clean? my- Yeah, they keep them clean when they're working in my factories. You know, you <laughs> need good hygiene. You don't want to hear from HR. The T the THR robot's going to have a field day if, we don't, if we're not grooming. <laughs> so there's a bunch of awesome new products coming to manscaped.com and use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping because besides the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, they're dropping their body wash this month. They just did their shampoo two-in-one conditioner next week there's some more men's product stuff coming out we can't talk about it yet but we're super excited to share it with you all it's going to be incredible they're expanding their line which is super smart just like how skynet's expanding their line of terminators you know they, they had the t800 but they're like we need to make something better than the t800 how about we make this liquid metal guy so that's basically what what manscape's doing with their products so now join the over two million men worldwide Go to manscaped.com, use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Their products are legit. It's the holiday season. If you got a man in your life, whether for the holidays, birthday, whatever, and you got to get him a gift, go to manscaped.com. I'm telling you, this is stuff we'll actually use. Their boxer briefs are super comfortable. T-shirts are comfy. Men's wipes are fantastic. They are amazing products, so get on it now. Also, do you love movie posters? If you do, you get to head on over to movieposters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order over there. Movieposters.com is the number one place to get your posters online today. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlights, whatever your poster needs are, they can handle it. They also have pretty much every film and TV show imaginable in their arsenal. Head on over to movieposters.com. If you're checking out our set online on YouTube, you will see that it is decorated with these amazing posters, high-quality stuff, everyone. Nobody can even compete to them, compete with them. Again, movieposters.com. Use our promo code RAIDERS10 and get 10% off your order today. All right, let's get back into T1 and T2. Now, let's get a little more specific with the plots, like in, in T1, the face you're giving me. So T1 obviously file, follows... Kyle Reese, as he's also sent back by John Connor to protect his mother, because he hasn't been born yet, from the Terminator, who Skynet just sent back. And so Kyle Reese, I love the way that this film opens up. The second one opens up with it, too, where, you know, we're in the future and we're watching this war and this dark planet and there's skulls being crushed and stepped on by Terminator robots. And like, what is going on? There are laser guns and there's human beings left, but there seem to be very few on the planet. And also it sets up with the uh, Terminator uh, being transported into contemporary time, Los Angeles, and Arnold just appears in this great orb-like like piece of, like I don't know, energy, you could say, a ball of energy. And it's a really great concept where only things that are organic can get sent back in time, which makes Kyle's story impossible believe, to believe because he, can't, he couldn't bring anything back with him. So it makes him 
seem like he's a lunatic and raving mad, but I love the opening at the at the what's it called? Griffith Observatory. Griffith Observatory where the Terminator goes up to them. He's just like, I need your clothes. It's a great opening. You can see how strong he is. You can see how dangerous he is, and it is a terrifying movie monster, essentially. Yeah. In the T-800, he is a new advanced version of the robots because that's what we're learning as Kyle Reese, after he basically, you could say, kidnaps Sarah Connor and starts to, begins to protect her and keep her from the Terminator. He's telling her everything about the future, everything about Skynet, about the Terminators and stuff like that. In this T-800, it's a breakthrough for Skynet because... Now they have created a Terminator where they have biological living tissue on the outside of the exoskeleton so that it can blend in. It's ultimate infiltration tool. They can gather intel and then they can sneak in with the humans where they're hiding and then they can send it back in time. And it looks like a human. It can go around humanity and blend in perfectly. So it's a, a really great concept of a killer robot that now looks human. And Arnold is perfect as the Terminator. He's the perfect choice. Originally, Arnold was up for Kyle Reese. And because his agents wanted him to be a leading actor and not to be a villain, to be a hero. So his agents wanted him to be Kyle Reese in this film. But, you know, I think James Cameron, when he met with Arnold, he and Arnold had this talk. They had a talk over lunch because the thing with Kyle Reese is James Cameron always imagined he lives in the future. There's not much food. You know, these people are barely surviving um, the, and they're constantly battling these uh technological advancements by Skynet so it's not like anyone can get jacked in the future <laughs> wouldn't make sense 250 yeah, in so 2029 yeah so all these warriors and soldiers like they would all be scrawny so he he, I mean Arnold he obviously wanted Arnold but he didn't want this jacked hulking beast of a man to be the guy from the future who's barely eating so it wouldn't make sense it didn't make sense so they talked it over and Arnold loved the script so much he was open to playing the Terminator and James Cameron also one of his first picks for the Terminator was OJ Simpson because OJ at the time he was uh, in a bunch of movies he was becoming like a a big time movie actor and he wasn't like the best actor in the world but he was ex ex extremely famous OJ was a very very famous person before he was ever on trial he was a big pop culture thing like everyone loved him so the juice yeah the juice he was a big star and so stars sell movie tickets so obviously the studio was on board with that but then i think that the way it worked out was perfect having arnold as this terminator this unstoppable force because when you watch him and you see him like moving through shotgun blasts and getting up over and over again no matter what's done to him and it's it, you believe it when arnold's doing it yeah i think maybe arnold didn't have the acting chops to do Kyle Reese the character probably agreed. at that point agreed you know he's, he's great as the Terminator because you know he'd be somebody who lacks emotion <laughs> like no 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 dig against Arnold I love the guy to death but you know that's the that's the character just don't do anything with your face <laughs> perfect all right Oh, you were asleep? Oh, yeah, that's perfect. But he's become a good actor now. Yeah, he's, we love him. He's solid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really amazing what Cameron did on such a small budget. And I think that, you know, the action scenes in this movie are really, really fantastic. The car chases are awesome. And Linda Hamilton gives a terrific performance as Sarah Connor. Yeah, and the violence is legit and scary. That's and what, yeah, that's what Cameron really understands. He knows audience want, audiences want blood. He knows audiences want to see graphic violence scary. and gore. I mean, when the Terminator tracks her down to the nightclub, and he goes in there and he starts shooting everything up it is terrifying I mean yeah. he's a 
terrifying creature monster robot. I mean, it's it's an unstoppable force. You know, it's a monster movie, but nothing we'd ever seen before. Even more powerful than anything we ever seen. And even the other Sarahs that he kills, like it's terrifying. And yeah. then his her roommates that he her roommate and his and her uh, boyfriend that he kills at, at night, terrifying scene. Yeah. And then, but ver versus. In Terminator 2, where he's coming back, he's been reprogrammed, the T-800, but now we have the T-1000, who's another breakthrough in Skynet technology. I can't wait They're to like see They're like Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Get your iPhone 13. Get your T-1000 today. T-1000X. So the T-1000's got four cameras. <laughs> the T-1000 is... The thing with it is because we'd seen everything the Terminator could do, and now we're sending that Terminator back to protect John Connor... Now you need something that's more powerful than the T-800 to create real suspense in the film and create an even better villain. You need something that's better than the T-800, which it is in every single way. It's more powerful. It has better attributes. Now it's that native, the uh, liquid, what is it, um, titanium? What, what is it made out of? It's liquid, liquid metal. Liquid, yeah, just like liquid that. metal. So it's yeah. a mimetic poly-alloy oh, terminator wow. capable of altering its form and appearance. And I think this was super effective in terms of creating something more powerful and scarier than the T-800. And this was actually created using George Lucas's Lucas um, Industrial Light and Magic Visual Effects Company. And this actually, the visual effects company, at first they started with six artists. And then they had to jump it up to 35. So yeah, Industrial Light and Magic, the computer graphics department had grown from six artists at the start of production to 36 artists in order to accommodate all the work required to bring the T-1000 to life, all the liquid metal stuff. This cost a total of $5.5 million to do and took eight months to produce. Wow. And although, ironically, it only amounted to 3.5 minutes of screen time. Yeah, that's actually a lot. Because if you think about it, you're not seeing liquid metal for too long. He yeah. often he keeps reverting back to human humanoid form. Well, not even humanoid, but they'll do a lot of just like him as a form, like yeah, a, exactly. like, a, like a, a, a knife form or, shot. or like a yeah. like a bar. Those yeah. things that he clamps onto the back of the car. But I love the way he can shape shift and he turns his body into different weapons. Like when he kills um, the foster mom with the. Uh, with his like spear arm yeah. right through the milk carton. Oh my god, it's, it's terrifying. terrifying. And it's played by Robert Patrick, who does an awesome job in this movie. He actually learned how to run at full speed for long periods of time without over, without breathing too loudly because he, well, just through his nose. Yeah, just through his nose and to make it look like he's not exerting much force because the terminator is a robot so obviously he doesn't breathe. So it can't show any kind of struggle or pain when it's doing something like that. He did a remarkable job as the T1000. Yeah, it's not easy to do when you're sprinting for several sets a day, you know, you got to have a good cardiovascular uh, you know about that. And, yeah, you know, I could ba I basically do this the whole time I run. I sprint you with pretend the, you're the T-1000? Just, just breathe through my nose. Now I will. Now I'm going <laughs> to pretend to do it. <laughs> but it's a great adversary to the T-800 because, you know, the T-800 doesn't fear anything, obviously, but it knows that it's outmatched every time it's going up against the T-1000. And also, they, they make it... A the way they reveal it is a great twist in T-2 at the, at the climax of the first act when... Because if you didn't, we didn't see the trailers growing up. You know, what I mean, it's not like we were in theater seeing that Arnold Schwarzenegger is doing these like one-liners in the trailer, and then you can tell he's a good guy. So we walked into when we saw it for the first time, we were blind. You know what I mean? And so the movie sets it up where John Connor, the ter Terminator, Arnold's Terminator. We'll just call him the Terminator, and the other one T one thousand. I think it would be sounds easier. good to me. So Terminator is looking for John Connor, and John Connor is running away from him, and then T one thousand shows up as a dressed as a police officer, so John John Connor thinks he's a good guy, but ultimately it ends in that hallway scene where John's in the middle and both Terminators are on either side of him, and we don't even know who's the good guy yet until Terminator starts shooting at 
uh, T-1000, and we can see T-1000's clearly trying to kill John. Yeah. And then that's a great reveal where, wait a second, the Terminator's the good guy now? That's how they revealed it. It's because, so great. Yeah, they both go back in time, they're getting their gear, they're yeah. getting their sunglasses and everything, and then, yeah, that's when, when uh, John is like, oh, I, this guy's trying to save me, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And they're both chasing him to an extent. And then... um. I love Terminator's uh, first scene at the at the uh, that bar, and he steals the Harley, and he he gets the cool leather jacket. It's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. I still think one of the craziest scenes in both films is when, in the first one, when the Terminator goes to the prison. I mean the the police station to get Sarah, mm-hmm. and he just blows that place up. He takes everything out because Doctor Silberman, who's that that uh, like terrible, the mean psychiatrist, yeah. he's a horrible person. Clearly, he um. He's in both films prominently because in the first film he's basically he's at the precinct, but he's also talking to Kyle Reese and interviewing him, and he's like, "Oh, I can make a career out of this guy." Or the thing that the things that he's saying is insane. He basically does the same thing to Sarah Connor in the second film, where he's like using her. He's probably built a career out of her for the yeah. last how, however many years she's been inside the mental hospital with him and going through all the interviews and everything. So he seems like a guy who's just taking adva- advantage of people for sure. And I love how he kind of gets what he deserves sort of in the second film when he gets the reveal of the Terminator. He's like, oh my God, they were telling the truth yeah, all the time. Yeah. When he sees, him, when he sees uh, T-1000, he moves through the bars of the cell uh, through with his liquid metal met- metamorphosis. He's like, oh my God, it's great. Great, great reveal. But And then Sarah Connor, what a great character transformation from the first film to the second one because in the second one, she is just built for war. You know what I mean? And you don't have to know, like... They go halfway through the film, they go to Mexico, and they meet up with her old friends. You can tell, like, all these relationships she's had in the past 10 years, all the training she must have gone through. Like, she's been preparing for this, and There's that's that just photo. Fa- that's fascinating right there. Yeah, and then the photo with the special teams. Yeah, exactly. Special forces team, so who knows what kind of training she has so, now. So the character became such a fascinating role in the franchise. And, she, and Linda Hamilton returned in Dark Fate, and she did a really great job in Dark Fate. She, she brought it again. Yeah, and speaking of Fate in T2... Sarah thinks that now that she's learning things from the T-800 that she can stop Skynet from ever forming. She can prevent it. She can change the fate of the world, which, you know, it's it's a nice sentiment. Um, and what she says to John, she says, no fate, but what but there's no fate, but what we can make what we make what yeah. we make something like that. Which is, you know, I, I like the idea, but it, inevitably you can't stop what's going to happen, even though she tries, and, you know, they try to in this film. And that's why she at first tries to assassinate Miles Dyson, who, again, is the lead programmer. Great work, character. Yeah, working yeah. on the um, the reverse engineering of the microprocessing chip found in the skull of the T-800 from the first film and then also the arm. And he's pretty close to making a breakthrough and then will lead to the creation of Skynet. So her first plan is she abandons John in T-800, the Terminator, and she goes to assassinate him, which she can't do because I think once she realizes she's over him with the gun, even though she shot him, she's she she can't become what she's been fighting or what she's been preparing to fight her whole life. It's her humanity, she's, and she's not a murderer. As badass as she is, and she is a killer. She can kill when she needs to, but... I think that she can't just be a cold-blooded murderer, and that really helps with the audience still loving her. And that's when John comes in with the Terminator, and this is probably the first kind of emotional moment they've had together. Because even though he rescues her from the hospital, she's like, "She's like, what are you doing? Like, you can't come rescue me. This is too dangerous. You shouldn't be doing this. I, I didn't ask for you to come save me. 
he just wants a mom. You know, he just wants his mom in his life. That's all he wants. He wanted to save her. He thought this would be a good thing for them and to build a relationship. And it's not until this moment, the the failed assassination, where they start to actually build an emotional connection for the first time in their entire lives, probably. And what's really great, a strength to the film is, is that because of how unbelievable the story is, the characters are always basically on their own. They have to solve the problem by themselves. They can't get like any backup. They can't get like an army or like no one will believe them if they try to tell other people like, oh, we're trying to save the future from, you know, artificial intelligence killing everyone, you know. So I think it's really great because the characters, the leads are always in it by themselves. Yeah. Well, they're able to convince Miles because he cuts his arm yeah. off to show him the, the robotics inside yeah. of him. He's like, okay, you're that's a great truth. moment when you're he cuts. Oh, my God. When he's cutting through his flesh. And that's and Arnold's does a great line delivery. He's like, "Listen to me very carefully." It's great. I love <laughs> Is it. Is that Dumbledore or Arnold? <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> I am Terminator. <laughs> oh man, you're ridiculous. But also, what's really smart about the T1000 is because he can shape shift into exact duplicates of other people. James Cameron got around this by using sets of twins. So that um, that security guard in the psychiatric ward with the mustache, he getting goes the coffee. getting the coffee, he actually is, his identical twin plays the T-1000's metamorphosized version of himself standing behind him. So that when he turns around, he sees himself. They're identical twins, those two. Same thing with Linda Hamilton. She has an identical twin and they used her for a couple of shots. Most notably is actually a deleted scene, which is a great uh, reflection shot in a mirror which James Cameron filmed without any glass at all. He just set up two shot, two sets of actors on either side of this hole in a wall, and they pretended that it was a mirror. So Linda Hamilton's twin sister is in a few shots in this film. Now I want to talk about Miles Dyson a little bit because he's a great character because he's clearly incredibly intelligent, highly ambitious, but he understands the gravity of what's happening. And his life's work he has to destroy, and he doesn't really second-guess that situation. You know, he, After seeing the Terminator's army, he's like, you know what? I have to stop this. I can't let this happen. I, I'm the one responsible for this mostly, so I have to I have to do what I have to do. We have to get rid of all my research. We have to destroy the arm. We have to destroy the chip. We have to destroy my life's work, even though it will, you know, I've put so much time into it. But, you know, I think it's an honorable thing to do. And also when he sacrifices himself to allow them to get away basically by creating that like dead man switch bomb, you could yeah. say. Yeah. Great, great death scene. Yeah. That I that's a great action scene when Arnold goes out the window and starts shooting just launches grenades at all these police cruisers <laughs> but he makes sure not to kill anyone he uses the minigun too yeah and the minigun to scare them all off and then also that when the SWAT raids the building is a great scene it's yeah. excellent well, it's one of the things I love about John where he knows that he can command this Terminator to do anything and the Terminator's been programmed to kill humans he's like no killing and he never kills anybody but then he shoots kneecaps, kneecaps like in mother effort he's, yeah he just, he just shoots them right <laughs> in the knee he's like bro oh you could just hit him in the head I guess <laughs> yeah you're, you're metal you could just knock them out. They're never gonna walk straight again. <laughs> my God! Imagine getting shot in the knee. These poor cops! Oh my God! Holy crap! <laughs> get destroyed. Looks terrible. But that's one. That's a great action sequence in the film. And you know, you could tell they had a much bigger budget to work with. You know, I mean, and Cameron's like he doesn't care about CGI. There's a shot where, um, when flying the helicopter, T1000 is flying the helicopter, and he flies it under a bridge. It's insane. And then I, I was listening to DVD commentary, and the guy, it was Cameron, and another guy was like talk, asking him questions while they watched the film. And then this, the guy was like, "So how did you film the helicopter sequence when he, when they flew under the bridge?" So Cameron was like, "Well, yeah, we just saw you took a helicopter, and 
I go to the pilot. I was like, hey, can you fly under the bridge? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we could do it. He's like, so yeah, he just flew under the bridge. That was it. We actually did it for real. It's really simple. <laughs> so there was no visual effects or anything. Like, he's all about practicality. I mean, yeah, Avatar, <laughs> CGI, but he still films it and does motion capture. I think in Titanic, there was so much great miniature work. And then, obviously, a lot of great practical work in T2, which really makes a difference, a wealth of difference. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And again, even though the plots are kind of repetitive and then the climaxes are still kind of repetitive where, you know, they're getting chased by a Terminator again and lots of car crashes and some cars flip and then that... that um Back to formula. <laughs> <laughs> Who left the refrigerator door open? No, but it works. It works. It's, it's, the, it's still good. It's yeah, still it's fun. A, it's a good it formula. It changes it enough where it works. And it's Marvel. Marvel does the same thing. <laughs> But it's it's I love how and then the um what's the the stuff that freezes him whatever that um nitrous oxide yeah nitro not, yeah nitrous oxide no that's that's the boost oh, no. in Fast and Furious oh I know what you mean. I can't think of it corn syrup the, <laughs> <laughs> antifreeze <laughs> whatever that is yeah. the nitrous whatever or I love that scene where it freezes him in the first time you watch it, like and they destroy him like oh they killed him then he starts to grow again so he stuff like melting, that yeah. they change it up we're back in a factory again but it's different it's fun and it's like instead of one monster coming for you it's like a monster battle it's like king kong versus godzilla in a way yeah and they do i mean they do keep crashing right in front of uh, the factory the perfect place to kill a terminator yeah. both times <laughs> but it's like i mean you don't question it at all it just works out still and still works i mean obviously the first one like this factory is the only way sarah could have survived if she if going like crashing the right in front of that factory and then Obviously, the the metal factory in the second one, but it's fun. You, you don't, I don't, I never look at that as a plot hole or something that's unbelievable because it's so well done. It's about you, robots going back in yeah, time. Come you know? on now. Yeah. <laughs> it's come okay. On. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And then, well, actually, what are the chances of them being there? They're lava. I mean, come on. Well, what they, are the chances? They're in Los Angeles. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I don't care at all. It's still an epic, epic third act. And I mean, there, how else could you kill the Terminator without, like, completely? You without can't, you without can't the lava, de without destroy. I mean, dropping it at the bottom of the ocean. I guess. Yeah, just making it sit down there. But I mean, it's still probably it could boot back up. Maybe it'd find a way to get you. Maybe it could like hack something to get it out. Uh, there's send a signal or something. I think that lava might be the only way to really fully destroy a Terminator. Drop it in a volcano. Yeah, a volcano. Seems possible. In the next Terminator, they should crash right outside a volcano. <laughs> 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 Shoot it to space. <laughs> oh man. Um I think I think I'm you got anything else to talk about? I, I mean, I I really love these movies. I think they're amazing and I remember I was in a film class and the the teacher he was a screenwriting class and the teacher was it was the first day so he was given his spiel like they always do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take your screenwriting teachers with a grain of salt. They're very smart. Especially if they've never written a produced <laughs> screen. They, they never have. All of them are like, yeah, I'm a professor of screenwriting. I've never, you've never had anything produced. Like, yeah. I can't take some, you seriously. Well, some of them. If, there are filmmakers that teach classes. No, no. But you, I, they're I'm, famous. I had a, I've had yeah. screenwriting professors who never written a screenplay that got made. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. 99% of them haven't. And then, but with this teacher in particular, he was like, we're here to, like, make great stories and do and we want to craft great work he's like we're not here to write 
Terminator 2. Why not? And I was like, I was sitting there in the class, so I was like, I fucking love Terminator 2. What are you talking <laughs> about? made $500 million. It's like one of the, considered one of the best movies ever. That movie is sick. It's like, so like, I was like, right there, I was like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. That's so pretentious. Seriously. I was, I remember, I'll never forget it. I was just like, who is this guy? My goodness. Name, I think his name was Barry something. Sounds Whoa, like a Barry. It sounds like something a Barry would say. Guess what he's doing? He's probably still there teaching, giving that same speech. Hey, there's nothing wrong with teaching and being a professor, but like that's pretty, pretty mean. Yeah, you if, know. If you're gonna say that, if, but to to think to have that attitude towards other movies that are successful, is just like unbelievable. Especially this kind of movie. People like it, pal. A lot people of people. Like, I, I bet he he wishes he wrote Terminator too. It has a million user votes. Is has eight point five percent, eight point five rating, it's, a million. It's pretty high. That's crazy. It's one of the most loved movies ever. It's great. It's true. I wish I could write Terminator 2. That'd be cool. Yeah. I think Terminator, you could make the argument that Terminator 2 is the best sequel of all time. You could definitely make the argument. I think so. No, it's after Godf Godfather, Godfather 2. 2, Dark Knight, Terminator 2. Two Towers. Yeah. I, I would say Lord of the Rings doesn't count because it was written as a trilogy already, maybe. But also, I mean, it is a great sequel, a great second one. But also, it kind of is. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess it still fits. <laughs> but I think. Yeah, those four movies, the best sequels of all time. All right. They got to be. Yeah, I agree. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that anecdote. That was very, very nice and fun. These smug teachers. <laughs> you got anything else? No, nah, I'm good. I'm, all right, let, let's do, do some, uh, some fun facts. Well, first, who's your MVP of the franchise? Oh, MVP? James Cameron. Yeah, James I mean, come Cameron. Come on, like, made, made both these movies. It's incredible. Best actor. Um, I'm going with Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton, I'm going with her too. Great, great job. And I love Arnold, but like... He already like kind of played himself in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> no, he played himself in the second one. Yeah, the first one was him just off. <laughs> but I think Linda Hamilton is very underrated in these movies. Excellent, excellent job. Do you have a favorite scene? I think my favorite scene is in the first one where uh, the Terminator's exoskeleton biological suit melts off from the fire, and he's just walking towards oh, them as nice. a robot. And it's terrifying. I think my favorite scene might be the the first chase in the second film um, through the L.A. River. Because it's the T one thousand drives an eighteen wheeler off a bridge onto the L A River. It's absolutely insane. That's pretty cool. And the practical stunt work with the motorcycle. I love that scene. Yeah. It's really, really well done. It's an, it's one of the best chases of all time. Well, it's sick because he's going. There's a dirt bike, motorcycle plus the eighteen wheeler. Yeah. Plus he grabs a person off the dirt bike yeah, yeah. onto a motorcycle. It's crazy. It's it's wild. It's it's so well. And it's all real. It's all done. Real stunt work. It's so awesome. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of my favorite chases by far. It's pretty cool. I think I think that's a highlight of that movie. Like for when sure. he jumps on the motor. He's on oh the Harley. And he takes off in the air. Crazy. I watched it. I'm like, I'm cheer. I cheer when that scene's stunt going on. People are out of their goddamn minds. And yeah. I love it. I love stunt people so much. I wish they got an award at the yeah. Oscars or something, man. But there are some shots where it's clearly not Arnold. You can oh yeah, see yeah, it's yeah. So, <laughs> so not Arnold. Arnold didn't do that. <laughs> and also definitely not Edward Furlong. I think there was a stunt actress uh, played Edward Furlong. Oh, for sure. It's it's definitely not. Them. <laughs> and there's no way he's ten. Is he's not like ten years old in that movie, right? No, he's like um 16, 15, something like that. Anyways. All right, want to do some fun facts? Let's do it, man. Okay. Let's start with Terminator fun facts. The Terminator. Okay. So while shooting The Terminator, James Cameron often resorted to what he called guerrilla filmmaking as a way of getting around acquiring permits needed to film certain scenes. This involved the production crew and actors quickly arriving at specified locations, shooting the scene, and then leaving quickly before the police arrived. As a result, some of the people seen in shots of the film are actual everyday citizens completely unaware that they're in a movie. 
This, they also used this for reshoots with James Cameron even calling and waking up Arnold Schwarzenegger at 3 a.m. to meet him at a location in full costume quickly to reshoot a scene. He also Cameron also used this tactic to film the very last scene where Sarah Connor drives off into the desert. This almost backfired when police showed up, but they managed to get the scene done before they were kicked out. You know what's so scary about, about Terminator in the first one? He's so much like Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. from Halloween. He reminds me so much of that. And then it reminds me so much of agents in the Matrix. Yeah. You know, like these unstoppable machines that are coming after you. Nothing hurts them. They'll mm-hmm. keep coming back further and further. But he, it reminds me so much of Mike Myers. Mike Myers with a gun. Yeah, basically. Anyways, great, great just, one. just wanted to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, it's a great point to say that he's a movie monster. Yeah, he wh- is. While you were saying that, I thought of that. Arnold Schwarzenegger worked with guns every day for a month to prepare for his role as the Terminator. The first two weeks of filming, he practiced weapon stripping and reassembly blindfolded until the motions were automatic, like a machine. He also spent hours at the shooting range and practicing with different weapons without blinking or looking at them when reloading or cocking. He also he also had to be ambidextrous because he's a robot, so he practiced different moves up to 50 times, and he wound up garnering a compliment in Soldier of Fortune magazine for his realistic handling of the guns on camera. Yeah, like when he's loading the shotgun, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he did it lefty, and he's right-handed. It's pretty crazy. Uh, for The Terminator, James Cameron got the idea of giving Arnold Schwarzenegger even fewer lines than the film he had just done before, Conan the Barbarian, which had 24 lines, and The Terminator... Arnold only has 14 lines of dialogue. That's crazy. There's so few dialogue. So few dialogue. So, few, <laughs> so little dialogue. <laughs> I'm good for Let's go to T2 fun facts. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Robert Patrick, for his role as T-1000, trained in a rigorous rug- running regimen while breathing only through his nose. He did this in order to appear... He did this in order to be able to appear to run at high speeds without showing fatigue during the film. He had trained so hard that he was able to catch up with Edward Furlong on his dirt bike with great ease, so he had to actually slow down while filming. For T2, studio executives were nervous and concerned when the original budget of $75 million ballooned up to $88 million with more to come. In order to keep the budget manageable, they proposed to eliminate a few scenes, in particular the opening biker bar scene where the Terminator is first introduced. They even tried to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to persuade James Cameron to remove that scene, but Schwarzenegger turned them down, saying only a studio guy would want to cut a scene out like that. I am solid with my movie trivia. All right, that wraps our episode on Terminator, The Terminator and then Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Which one do you like better? Um, I think I think you're right that The Terminator, I mean, T2 is better than the first one. I just love. It's hard to pick. I love them both. They're so they're so different. It's like it's like Alien versus Aliens. I would say Aliens my favorite there, but I, I still just love the original concept of the first film. You know, I think. I mean, I, I think Terminator is an amazing movie, but I think that T two is really outstanding. One of the best sci fi films of all time. It's better for sure. I think it improved upon the Terminator in every way. Not that Terminator needed improving upon, but somehow James Cameron managed to make. You know, his, I think his full potential for what he saw in the franchise. Yeah. It's really one of the greatest sequels ever made. I concur. They're both just great, man. They're both a good time. Yeah. So we, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode. I'm sure you've watched these movies as much as we have and enjoyed this episode. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Make sure to subscribe at the not- notification bells, whatever, wherever you're listening around the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and we'll see you soon. Hasta la vista, baby.
Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.